0: Dive right into what I want to talk to you guys about tonight, okay? And then, and then I'll fill in some details about uh, where we've been, what we're doing on the back end. Is that all right with y'all? All right. So, if you have a Bible, if you have a tablet, if you have a phone, open up your Bible app. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to be in verse 19. We we'll also have that on the screen. Yeah, there we go. So, I. Uh, I think this is apparent, but I'm a missionary, and so uh, when uh, when missionaries come and talk, they often like to use this verse right here, but before we get to it, I want to give you some context on this. Uh, I think sometimes we read the Bible, and uh, if we've been around the Bible a lot, we read right over the verses that are really, really meaningful, and we're like, yeah, I remember Jesus said that, but we don't take it all in exactly what it means, okay? So let me give you some context. In the book of Genesis, when God made the heavens and the earth, he blessed Adam and Eve, and he said, Listen, I want you to be fruitful, and I want you to multiply, and I want you to fill the earth. Later, God shows up to Adam and Eve's ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to each of them he gives a separate promise, saying that I'm going to bless you, and I I want to bless you so that you can bless the nations. Right, And then we go forward and we have this whole crazy story about how Joseph goes to Egypt and the Israelites are in Egypt. God calls them out uh, with Moses leading them. And then somewhere in the desert, uh, actually in Saudi Arabia, uh, God speaks to them and he says, listen, I'm going to give you the law. And the purpose of the law is so that you can be a holy people so that the nations can look at you and see what it means to worship the one true God. We look at the Psalms where David, uh, the king, he's over and over again, he says, God, let me be a light to the nations. May you bless us so that we can be a light to the nations. And over and over again, all throughout the Old Testament, God highlights this notion that we are to be blessed and we are to walk in love and serve Him so that we can bless and serve others, especially. I want to encourage you from this night on when you read your bibles and you should read your bible a lot outline, highlight, underline, circle anytime that the bible says nations, tribes, tongues, people groups because you will begin to see your bible filled up with ink and you'll realize God loves the nations. So Right, we have this whole line through the Old Testament coming up to Jesus. Jesus appears on the scene, right? And he's the guy that is supposed to come in and say, listen, I'm here to clarify. I'm here to focus everything that has gotten out of focus and that has become unclear from the Old Testament. He's come in to say, listen, I know this was a little bit unclear and this was imperfect. And here I am to perfect the imperfect and to clarify the unclear. So we all know the story of Jesus, 3 years with his disciples. He was crucified, he rose again from the dead, and that leads us to our verse here. And Jesus is with his disciples and this is right before he's going to ascend into heaven. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen like a movie where the hero is about to leave and he gathers around him the people that he loves. And he says, "Listen. If you forget anything or forget everything, remember this, and then he says, this is the most important thing. Or maybe you could think of like a movie where the the hero's dying, and he gathers people around him, and he says, listen, I want you to always remember this thing. Or maybe even just to put it in a more realistic way is, maybe you've been a part of a conversation where it was a difficult one, and at the end you say, hey, listen, I just want to make sure that we're on the same page. This is what I mean. So here we are, we have Jesus, and we have all of the Old Testament behind him leading up to this in his whole life. And he gathers his disciples around him and he says, Listen, if anything's been unclear, if, if anything is not clear in your mind about what I came to do and what I want you to do, this is how I'm going to sum it up and clarify it for you, okay? So Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. It says this Go therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you with these words in our minds and in our hearts, and we've probably read them so many times, but God, tonight, would you make them alive to us? Would you come, Holy Spirit, and breathe life? to this thread that runs to the Old Testament all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, that you love the nations, and you come here, yes, to make us whole, and to bless us, and to help us to live a holy life, but it's for a purpose, and so God, we just pray right now, and, and we, we declare right now that this service is yours, and that you can say whatever you want, and you can do whatever you want, because we want to we give it over into your hands, and we ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me uh, give you a little bit of background. All right, so, can you throw that picture of uh, my family pickup? There we go. Yeah. Thank you. As you guys can see, I definitely married up. And uh, at one point in life, I, I, will, I will give you the year. I wasn't going to give you the year when I came to San Houston, but in 2008. I was a freshman here, 2003, that is it, just in case you guys wanted to know, that is the same year that Dryden was also a freshman here, he doesn't want you to know that, same year, we lived in the same dorm, right across the hall, he never talked to me, and I'm still a little bitter about that, uh, my wife Kimberly up here, she was also a uh, same Jose grad, also part of Chi Alpha here, and uh, we came to college, and maybe you can identify with this. We were not trying to, like, run away from God, but we weren't trying to run towards Him either, right? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah. And uh, as soon as I moved in, as soon as I was, you know, there moving into my dorm room. There were some Kai Alpha guys, and they connected with me. My brother had been part of Kai Alpha, but, so they had sent out, like, this special search party for me. and And I got connected. After I graduated with my criminal justice degree, I realized that what they had been doing could actually be termed stalking. They could have been arrested. Does anybody experience that like you had some time with people stalking? Yeah. yes. All right all right uh, you tracking with me. So missions was the furthest thing from our minds, but God got a hold of our lives here. And I never, we never had a bright light moment where God spoke to us in some audible voice. Uh, we never like flipped open our Bibles. And yes, we will go. No, uh, it was just little steps of obedience. And so you guys are in this position where God is speaking to you. And I just want to encourage you: just whatever He says, just obey that one step and take that next step. And He's going to be faithful to where you are supposed to be. He's going to He's going to lead you there. All right. So eventually, fast forward through lots of stuff. And we'll get God so did call us overseas, and uh, we left in uh, 2013 with a one-year-old who is now nine, and that is Hannah. So she was born right here in Huntsville Hospital, and then we went overseas, and uh, we spent five years in Egypt. And uh, I've got a very actually special guest here with me tonight. Uh, I'm back for one year while we we're traveling around speaking, but I have a special guest that came all the way from Cairo for one week. Uh, just to be here with you guys. So that's my friend. <laughs> Ted Burnett is down here. If you can just, yeah. So uh, he, he did come to be with you guys and also some other things. So it's kind of true. Uh, also, Sam Usandrad loves Jesus, live, serves in Cairo, Egypt right now. So my family and I went to Egypt, and the Lord really did some wonderful things there in our lives. And two of those wonderful things are up on the screen as well. So I've got uh, Hannah is our oldest, who's nine now, and then we had Rebecca overseas, who's six, and then Abigail, who's four, uh, those two redheads that are up there. So they're pretty incredible, and uh, man, guys, pray for me. It's all girls. like, really? I need your prayers. I want to tell you a little bit something about my family uh, that's kind of funny, and it, it does have a point, so stick with me. Now, I grew up in Texas. Uh, I grew up in rural Texas. I'm from Schulenburg. Okay. We have another Schulenburg. We have a short horn, A Schulenburg shorter. You get it the horns. All right. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so we, we grew up in rural Texas, and uh, you know. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, values like hard work and uh, taking care of your things, being responsible, like these are all important to most of us Texans. And so I wanted, we want to pass those things along to our kids. But we're living overseas, and the culture is different, and they don't have the same opportunities to you know, learn those things. Uh, but, of course, one of the best ways to do that is we, we tell them they have to clean their room. And does uh, anybody in here like to clean their room? There are a few weird people. Yeah, yeah. There's a few weird people who like to clean their room. So usually, usually how it goes is we say, "Hey, listen, I, I want you to go clean your room, right?" Some of you, some of you are not far removed from living with your parents, and so you know how this goes. Your parents say, "Go clean your room," and especially as your little kid, as a little kid, you like you don't really know what that means. Uh, so. We'll send our kids to go clean their room, and 15 minutes later, I'll go check on them because it really should only take five, but I'm going to be gracious to give them 15. And most of the time, I go in there, and guess what? The room is dirtier than when it started because they went in there, and they started playing with each other and getting out toys and playing more games. They got distracted. And so I'll come back in, right? Dad has said clean up the room, so Dad comes back in, listen, listen. What are y'all doing? You need to clean up your room. This is, a, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, Dad. Sorry, Dad. So then they'll go and they'll clean one part of their room. So, like, they'll make up their bed real nice, but everything else, all their clothes is still so out, all their toys are still out. So, so come back 15 minutes later. Yeah, what's going on? 30 minutes, your room's not clean. And so, this is so, so, so sorry, Dad. We'll get back. We'll do it. We'll do it. Again. Now, why do I tell you this? I'm telling you this because I believe it is a perfect analogy for the church when it comes to missions. You see, God the Father has told us to go into all the earth and preach the gospel to every nation. And we went, and then all of a sudden we got distracted, and we began to talk to each other, and we got comfortable, and we didn't go. And then God the Father comes back in, and he says, Listen, I told you to go into all the earth and preach the gospel. And we go, Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. So we we go real quick to this one area, and we get that really nice but then we forget that we're supposed to go to the rest of the nations. And here we are 2,000 years later, after that commandment from Jesus to go into all the earth. Now, in the early church, the disciples got it. So actually, Thomas, doubting Thomas, he went all the way to India and preached the gospel and gave his life there as a martyr for Jesus. We know that the disciple Mark went to Egypt and North Africa and preached the gospel. We know that the Apostle Paul went all over the known Mediterranean world preaching the gospel, making disciples, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But somewhere along the lines, the church stopped taking the gospel to the nations. And here we are. And so we talk about the state of the gospel in the world and how much of it has not heard the gospel and doesn't have access to access to the gospel, we're talking about 40%. 40%. Now, just to put this in perspective for you, 40% of the world is about 3 billion people. And if you add up North America and South America together, that's 1 billion. So it's North America and South America together times 3 that don't have access to Bibles, that don't have access to churches, that haven't heard about Jesus, and don't even know. So here we are 2000 years after Jesus has given us this commandment. This clarifying statement to say listen, if if you forget everything else, remember this. This is your purpose as the church and still 40% without the gospel. I believe that Jesus wants us to preach the gospel. I believe that the the message of the Bible from start to finish is the gospel has come to you and now it is on its way to someone else. And in Caiapha we like to say what? What God has done in you, he wants to do through you. We get that straight from this. God has come to you, he wants to bless you, he wants to make your life whole, he wants you to help you be holy and pure, he wants to give you good grades, he wants to give you a good job, he wants to make your family whole, all these things but it's for a purpose. And the moment that you begin to take it for yourself, the moment that it stops with you, we see in the Old Testament what happens to Israel when they stop saying, I'm gonna be a light to the nations. Corruption comes in, sin comes in, the enemies come in, and they've gotten off task. We don't want to be that. So, my family and I, this is our this is our heart. This is what God has called us to do open ended. I don't know if it's gonna end one day, I don't know if Jesus is gonna come back. But until God tells us otherwise, we're gonna go and go to these places where the access to the gospel is not. And so we serve right now, after five years in Egypt, we moved to the nation of Oman. And so I know for some of us who are geographically challenged, we have a slide of where Oman is. Just there you go. Uh, we're right next to we're right next to Saudi Arabia right next to Yemen, right across the water from Iran. So we have some very interesting neighbors uh, in the area. There are five million people in Oman, and the highest estimate of believers in the whole country is 100. I believe that it's more like 10. In fact, one of the interesting things about Oman, one of the things that we talk about as a way to remember it, is that there are more Starbucks in Oman so next time you go and get a cup of coffee from Starbucks, I want you to think about Oman and I want you to pray for it. This is a place where it's illegal to get up and preach the gospel. It's illegal for Muslims to convert to Christianity. And yet, there are people there that want to hear about the gospel. I want to share some stories with you. I love stories. All this information is great and I believe God's going to speak to you through that. But I also want to tell you about what God is doing. Uh, The first story I want to tell you about is about my friend, Ibrahim, and this story actually happened in Egypt, and uh, our special guest, Ted, was a part of it. Uh, Ibrahim was a Muslim, and he was born a Muslim and raised a Muslim, but all of his life, he knew there was just something that was missing, and uh, eventually, he met somebody on our team there named Zach, and Zach began to share the gospel with Ibrahim, and very quickly, Ibrahim said, listen. I think this is what I've been missing. I want to be a part of whatever this is. And so Zach began to disciple Ibrahim. And Ibrahim is a character. Like, he's really rough. He grew up in a slum in Cairo. And uh, he's also a man of action. And So as he's learning about his newfound faith, he wants to find a way to, like, you know, please God and do something for Jesus. But he wasn't at a point where he was sharing his faith yet. And one day he was at work and he was with his friend. And his friend, who is a Muslim, and thinks that Ibrahim is a Muslim, says, hey, listen, you see that girl over there? She's from the minority people group here, and I'm from the majority people group, which means I can do whatever I want to her and get away with it. So he says, I'm going to have my way with her to Ibrahim. And for some reason, this doesn't sit well with Ibrahim, and he thinks, man, how can I, Jesus wouldn't want this, and how do I act on this? So he waits for this guy in the alleyway, and picks a fight with him. And so they get into a full on fist fight. And you know, he's beating him up because he thinks he's doing this wonderful thing for God. And so Ibrahim comes and he goes to the small house church that's actually a meeting with the Burnettes. And he says, Listen, I did something awesome for Jesus today. Right? Some of you guys, some of you girls, if you have small group guys and small group girls like that. You're like, I can relate. And so he shows up, he's got He's got bloody knuckles. You, you all are naming names. Stop naming names. You are pointing at people. So he shows up to the house church, right? And he's got like scars and scratches and all the signs that he's been in a fight. He says, listen, I did something awesome for God. And so they looked at Ibrahim and they said, heart's in the right place. Very wrong application. <clears throat> Another time, as Ibrahim began to share his faith or began to at least tell people that he is interested in Jesus and studying the Bible, his family comes to him and they said, listen, Ibrahim, we've figured out why you think that you're a Christian or you're interested in Christianity. It's because you're possessed. You're possessed. You've got to be possessed. And so they said, you have a jinn in you, which is where we get the word for genie. And so they said, listen, we've got this Islamic exorcist and we're going to take you to the Islamic exorcist and he's going to cast.'" Uh, gin out of you. And so he's with his family, so okay, yeah, okay, I'll go with you. And he realizes on the way that, hey, listen, I can do whatever I want, and they're gonna blame it on the demon. And so he gets in front of this Islamic exorcist, and the guy starts doing whatever he does. I don't know what an Islamic exorcist does. I've never been a part of one of those. Uh, but Ibrahim senses this is his moment. And so he stands up and shrieks, like the demon's coming out. And then He reaches his hand back and open palm slaps the Islamic exorcist right across the face. Mm -hmm. So the guy's turban, the guy's turban goes flying off. And in the confusion, Ibrahim like gets away. And he comes back once again to this house church. And he says, guys, I know last time was wrong, but this time had to be right. And he explained the situation once again. They said, hey, listen right heart kind of maybe wrong application what was beautiful at that point was that another girl in the house church and another muslim girl who had come to christ she took ibrahim aside and she said listen the bible actually tells us that we are the one we're the one who who gets slapped in the face and when that happens we turn the other cheek and we say this one also And that would become quite prophetic because Ibrahim began to walk through some intense persecution. His family was trying to find him and beat him up. He would sleep at a different place every single night because his family had let it be known that we want to kill you. Because you have shamed our family, we want to regain our honor. About this time, he came to the house church as they were talking about baptism. And he said, I want to be baptized. And now baptism is really interesting, I'm, I'm sure that many of you have seen, at least the baptism service here. But overseas, it's a little bit more interesting because when a Muslim comes to Christ, baptism is the last line. You see, when, they, when they're baptized, their family says, this is the no turning back point. You're dead to us after that. And so we look at these verses that for us don't make much sense, but they make sense to them when Jesus says, unless you father, and your mother, and your brother, and your sister, you cannot be my disciple. And we walk him through that and say, you have to love Jesus more than you love these things, because you will lose them. That's the cost of following Jesus. And so it was one of the coolest experiences that I've ever been a part of. We went to the Red Sea, the Burness were there, the house church was there, Ibrahim was there. And as we're there, this is the same Red Sea where Moses parts the waters, walks through on dry ground. And we're sitting on the edge of the Red Sea, and we're standing around Ibrahim, and one of the leaders is leading him through a profession of faith. And you've all seen a baptism, right? So we say things like, Ibrahim, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And he said, Yes, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. He said, Do you believe that Jesus was crucified? from the grave? And he said, yes. These are all things that are very important because Muslims don't believe these. And then he said something that I'll never forget. He said, Ibrahim, will you follow Jesus even unto death? And -hmm. the reason being is that when a Muslim comes to Christ, they will either literally or figuratively lose their life. The old person's gone. They can't go back to their family. They can't go back to their job. They lose their house. They lose their kids sometimes. They lose their wife sometimes. And so they have to know that if they follow Jesus, the old life is gone. And so Ibrahim at the top of his lungs said, I will follow Jesus even unto death. They took him out into the water, baptized him, old Ibrahim gone. The new Ibrahim there. And in pure Ibrahim fashion, which I did not take. Now, Ted, no, I'm sorry. Ted didn't take one. After Egypt, I uh, told you we moved to Oman. And uh, Oman's quite different than Egypt. Egypt, uh, Egyptians are just wonderful, passionate people. And so when you talk about the gospel to them, oftentimes you get a response of, yes, I want to hear more about that. Or, no, I hate you and I don't ever want to hear about that again. And so you know very quickly, hey, they're interested in it. And uh, Oman is quite different in the fact that uh, they just you share the gospel and 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 they go very very nice. And you're like, are you interested or like what is it? Are we friends? I don't know if you hate me or like or don't. And so we knew very quickly that we needed to begin to just share basic gospel stories and truth because they just have nothing. And so one of those times that's very uh, natural for all of us missionaries is uh, holidays. And so this past Christmas, not this past Christmas, the one before, uh, we began to have lots of events where we invite our friends over and do Christmas things. And So my wife, Kimberly, she said, listen, uh, I'm going to invite some people over and we're going to have a Christmas cookie baking thing. And so she invited some ladies over and, and their kids over and, and, and all part of the world when we have a meeting with with locals. Like uh, The guys go over here and the girls go over here. Kind of like how y'all are sitting a little bit. Like uh, you got some separation here. Yeah, and uh, so the meeting the, the meeting went well, and my wife is over here, and she's in the main part of the house, and uh, she's got these these three Omani ladies with her and their kids, and they, they bake the cookies, and then she said, listen, um, I know that you see Christmas, and, and you, you see the Christmas tree, and maybe you hear about Santa Claus, but that's not the real reason for Christmas, and she said, I'd love to read the Christmas story, would that be okay, and they said, oh yeah, sure, we've always wondered what Christmas and so she opened up the Bible. and It was actually a kids' Bible because the kids were there, and, so, and she read the Christmas story, and and the whole thing, right? Where God, where the angel appears to Mary and says, "You're going to bear a child, and he's going to be the Messiah," and and that all about how the shepherds appeared. Uh, sorry, the angels appeared to the shepherds in the field, and that really was cool to them. There's lots of shepherds in our culture, and then they got really excited when we talked about the three wise men because the three wise men brought gold. Frankincense and myrrh. And frankincense is one of the main exports from Oman. In fact, a lot of biblical historians think the frankincense that was brought to Jesus was from the Oman, Yemen area where they still get frankincense from. Does anybody do essential oil frankincense? Some of you. Some of you. and You're not telling the truth. I know that you don't. And uh, so she told that story and, and then she went in and began to share more about the gospel. And afterwards, and in the is they said, thank you so much for sharing that story because we'd never heard it before. We always wondered about Christmas. And so then at the end of all of these meetings, what we do is we gather together as a family and we pray over those people and over those seeds that were sown. And we say, Jesus, would you bless those? Would you water those? Would you continue to let those seeds grow in their hearts? And so my wife continued to build friendships with these ladies and, and, and share more and more. And one morning she woke up a text message from her friend, one of the ladies that was there, and she said, Kimberly, last night I had a dream, and you were in it. And I don't know what it means, but I'd like to get together and tell you the dream because maybe you can interpret it before or for me. Now, in full disclosure, my wife has never interpreted a dream before. Um, Not much experience there. But we do know that the Bible says that God can give us the interpretation of dreams. So... She said, okay, I'll meet with you. And then she asked us to pray, pray, pray. And so she met with her, and and she said, please share your dream with me. So she said, yeah, I, I was in a car. And she said, and you were in the passenger seat with me, and we were driving up a mountain. And she was like, it was like we were going straight up a mountain about to flip over backwards. And she said, everything was dark. She said, but you kept touching me and saying, it's going to be okay. It's okay. Just keep going. And she said, finally, we got up to the top of this mountain, and there was a big plateau. And she said, off in the distance, I saw this huge walled garden. And she said, and there was running water. And she said, it was alive. And she said, as I got closer, I could hear this water, and I realized that it was living water. And in this garden, there was all of these beautiful trees and plants and animals that I'd never seen before. And she used a really important word. She said, it was paradise is the Muslim word for heaven, and she said, and then finally when we got in the garden, it wasn't just us, but, but my kids were there, and your kids were there, and she looked at my wife, Kimberly, and she said, what do you think this means, and she said, I, I don't know if I exactly know what it means, she said, but I think this is what it means, she said, I think God has sent me here to help you find the way to she said, it's going to be scary and dark, but I'm going to be here to comfort you and say, it's okay. And she said, the only way to get to paradise, to get through that garden is through Jesus. And Jesus said, no one comes to the father except through me. And the father is the one who rules paradise. And if you want to go there, you've got to go to the father and Jesus is the only one that can take you to him. And she said, and when you get there, it will be incredible and there will be living water and there will be beautiful things that you've never seen before and if you do it, it won't just be me and you, but you can also help your children find it as well. And the girl looked back at Kimberly kind of just with this stunned face like oh, okay, maybe and she looked at Kimberly she said, I don't know if that's all true about the dream but I do know that I want to hear more about Jesus and if he can help me get to paradise I want to know more about him. Kimberly continues to be with this lady and to get her one step closer to Jesus and all we can say is that before we were there and after we were there doing nothing special other than being obedient to Jesus, she's one step closer to entering the Next story, my last one, is about my friend named Hamid, and uh, Hamid is my closest, closest Omani friend. And uh, 20 years ago, he wanted to read the Bible, just had this desire to read the Bible, which is really strange because Muslims believe the Bible's been corrupted. The one that we have, they think, is not true, and has been changed from the original Bible. And so, for this desire to come into his mind, it was quite strange. He looked everywhere in his country, and he even went to the British embassy and asked him, Do you have a Bible? I want to read a Bible. Nobody had a Bible. He put that feeling to one side, and several years later, he began to take English lessons for his work. And there was a lady who was teaching his English lessons from South Africa, and he said that she would just talk about Jesus all the time. And he said, whenever she would talk about Jesus, there was something in my heart that would begin to pound, and, and I was drawn to him. He said, one day I showed up for class, and she was gone, and she never came back. And I know that's code as a missionary that she Fast forward another few years, and one of our friends, another wonderful St. Houston and St. named Rob Aiken, yeah, he moved into Hamid's neighborhood in Oman, right down the street from him. And Hamid, uh, he he came up to Rob's door and with pancakes, and he said, listen, I, I saw you moving in, and I wanted to welcome you to Oman, and welcome to the neighborhood, so here's some pancakes. And Omanis are really, really hospitable. And so he said, "Listen, I live right over here. If you ever need anything, please come by my house." So Rob began to build a friendship with him, and through that began to share the gospel. And uh, pretty soon, I came along into the country, and so Rob and I would begin to sit with Hamid and share the gospel together. And it came into a Bible study. So we're studying the Bible together. And in the Middle East, especially where we're at in Oman, it's very interesting. When you come into someone's house, you sit down, and there is this whole long procession of about an hour that you have to do certain things before you can talk about anything that's meaningful. So they come in, and you have to ask how you're doing, how's your family doing, for about 20 minutes. Then they bring out coffee and fruit, and you have to eat that for about 20 minutes. And then they bring out sweets and dates, and you have to eat that for about 20 minutes. And then you can talk about the gospel. So one week, Hamid invited us over to his house three times in a row, three nights in a row. So we go through every night over this hour-long thing, and then we talk about the gospel. We're back the next night, okay. More fruit, coffee. How are you doing? How are you doing? And then we talk about the gospel. The third night, we get about halfway through our fruit and dates and coffee, and he stops us and he starts talking and, and asking us about real things. And we go, Wait, we didn't do the, like, we didn't do oh, the, oh, okay, wait, yes, let's talk about this. It's important. And he looked at us and he said, Listen, all of my life I've been told that everything you're telling about Jesus is wrong. And that the right way to God is to be a Muslim. And he said, but when we talk about Jesus, and when we read the words of Jesus, I'm drawn to him. And he said, I'm so confused, I don't know what to do. Should I be a Muslim, or should I follow Jesus? And he said, I need a sign from God. And so Rob, being full of faith, said, well, that's easy. God can give you a sign. And I kind of looked at him like And then we proceeded to say, yeah, God can give you a sign. And we said, listen, there's a story in the Old Testament about Elijah on the mountain. And he built two altars, one to God and one to the false God. And the prophets, the false prophets began to worship. And he said, listen, whichever God answers by fire and comes down and consumes this altar and this sacrifice, that's the one we're going to serve. So we said, listen, we'll pray for a sign with you, Hamid, but When God speaks to you, you have to serve him. And he said, okay. So we prayed with him then, and we asked God for a sign. And then we got back in the car, and me and Rob began to pray again because we said, God, this is completely out of our hands. We shared the truth with him. We loved him. And if you want him to follow you, you have to speak to him. And so we left. We prayed some more. We prayed some more. The following day, I woke up from a text message from Hamid that just said, I had a dream. And so I very quickly texted him back, and unfortunately, he had left his cell phone in his vehicle while he went into work. So all day long, I'm thinking, no, i, I got to hear about this dream. i got to hear about the dream. Hamid, are you off work? Are you off work? Finally, he texted me, and he said, listen, come over to my house, and I'll tell you about the dream. So I get over there, and we go through the whole process. How are you doing? How's your family? I just saw you yesterday, Hamid. They're the same. Okay, let's have some tea. Let's have some coffee. Let's have some dates. He didn't cut it short this time. He went through the whole thing. Finally, we get through it. And I said, Hamid, tell me about your dream. And he said, I was laying in between sleep and in between being awake in my room. And he said, all of a sudden, my room filled with the sweetest presence I've ever felt. He said, it was like this liquid peace. And he said, I didn't hear anything and I didn't see anything, but all of a sudden he's like there was like two light bulbs that came to my mind. That Jesus is the Son of God and that I was supposed to follow him. We were pumped because literally the church in Oman increased by like ten percent overnight. From nine to ten. Later that year, uh, it was Easter, and uh, although I shared the gospel with him before and about the crucifixion, resurrection, why it was important, he really texted me and he said, "Hey, will you explain Easter to me? Why why I celebrate it now as a Christian?" So I did. I went through everything with him, and we didn't talk about Easter eggs or the Easter bunny. By the way, we talked about the crucifixion, and the resurrection, and the atonement. And he sent me this text message back, and he said, "Josh." How would I know these things if you weren't here to tell me? How would I know these things if you weren't here to tell me? And that is the reality of almost 3 billion people around the world. They're waiting for you to come and to tell them. And the Bible has this very powerful verse that says just that thing. How are they going to believe if they haven't heard? And how are they going to hear? one is sent right there are people all around the world looking for missing that thing that Ibrahim said all of my life I've known something was missing but I didn't know what until I met somebody the wonderful thing about the Bible and uh, I know you guys are in college but as you go out of college and as you get a job or whatever God calls you to, You'll find that there are like organizations and there are people that have vision. They have vision. And what's really interesting about vision is there's always three components. There is the this is what we're gonna do part, that's number one. And then there is the this is how we're gonna do it, that's number two. And then there is the this is what it's gonna look like when we're done, number three. In the old testament, God tells us what he wants us to what he wants us to do be blessed, and go to the nations. Jesus comes in the New Testament. How are we going to do it? You're going to go to the nations, and you're going to preach the gospel, and you're going to make disciples. At the end of the Bible, he tells us what it's going to look like. In the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verse 9, it says, After these things I looked, and behold a great multitude, which no one could number, of all the nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing God tells us very clearly that at the end of time, there will be a representation of every single people group on earth. There's going to be Omani people there praising Jesus in this terribly hard language to learn called Arabic. There's going to be Egyptians there praising him in their Egyptian Arabic. In Oman alone, we have 26 unreached people groups. Many of them have their own languages, some of them speak Swahili going to be Swahili Omanis there. There's other ones who speak another language called Belushi. There's going to be a Belushi Omani there speaking praises to God. Now, here's the challenge. You guys are in college. You might not be able to leave and go to the mission field right now. So how can you be involved? How can you be involved? I'm going to give you three things as I come closer and closer. Three things. You can pray and you can give. Might have heard this before. You can pray, you can give, and you can go. Prayer is literally something that every one of us can do. And God will absolutely 100% use your prayers to help us share the gospel. One time we were in Egypt and we had three weeks of just horrible sickness in our family and nightmares. Our little girls were waking up with nightmares and sickness, and we started to cry out to God, God, What's going on? Why are we sick? Sometimes you get sick, but when it continues and then there's these other things, you go, what's what's happening? We woke up the next morning, and there was a lady that's a prayer partner with us, and she said, listen, I was praying for you guys, and all of a sudden, it was like I was in your house. And I was like, that's kind of weird. And she said, but I was there, and I was like, I walked in your front door, and she described it. She said, I walked in your front door, and I turned right. And I went into another room, and there was your TV. And right next to your TV, there was something that had Arabic calligraphy written all over it. And it was on fire. And she said, it wasn't a good fire. It was a bad fire. And so we said, we woke up. We said, okay, we go to the front door. Like with her, we walk in. We turn by the TV. And there was this lamp that was sitting there that a friend of mine had given me that had all of this Quranic writing on it. And so we took it and we lived on the 13th floor of an apartment building and we made sure nobody was underneath and we chunked it. And that night, that night there was no nightmares and all of the sickness left our family. Now, listen, I don't know why God didn't just tell us that this thing was there and it was bad, but for some reason he wants you to partner and pray for us. And he wants to use your prayers to make an impact all the way around the world. Pray for a missionary. Get together with your small group. Make it part of every one of your small group meetings to lift up a missionary on the other side of the world and the people that they work with. Number two, give. All right, we're college students. I get it. We don't have a whole lot of money, but you can still begin to give in a meaningful way. right? find a way to sacrifice some coffee or sacrifice going out to eat and begin to give to missions all right when you give to missions you're able to reach across the world and literally have an impact in people's lives and although God might not call you to missions he might not call you to go overseas you can still make an impact and there will be as corny as it sounds there will be people in heaven that you will get to talk to and you'll say I I And I gave so that someone could go and share the gospel with you. And you'll get to meet them one day. The last one, which is what I want to focus on with you guys, is the go. Is the go. Listen, it's not light to think about a life overseas and missions. But the reality is, is that as believers in Christ Jesus, he has called us to go into all the earth. And there's, there's no, he, he didn't say, hey, some of you guys go and the rest of you can stay. He's talking to his disciples, right? Are you a disciple of Jesus? Now, there's various elements, I get it, of, of ways to be involved with that. Not all of you might go forever. But I want to challenge you. If you're not already planning to go on a short-term trip for spring break or this summer, man, go and sign up beg them to open up another spot for you this Bible right here I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation where people are telling a story and they're going like they're, they're telling a practical or a joke that they were a part of and you don't get it but everybody else is laughing and they go well I guess uh I guess you just had to have been there right that's kind of what the Bible's like there's some parts in here you're never gonna get unless you you go and you do unless you you go over there and you and you smell what it's like and you taste what it's like and you walk those streets and and you and you sit in the missionary's home and you go all of a sudden you go oh wow I actually I get it now I get it and then there are those of you who I know that are sitting in this room that God is actually calling you to a longer term and uh, I know that there are people in God is speaking to because I used to be in that seat and in that chair. And I know countless other people who are in that same seat and in that same chair. And when a missionary gets up and speaks, all of a sudden, your heart's like, and you go, I don't know what that is, but every time I hear about the nations, my heart begins to beat a little bit faster and my mind quickens. I want to give you guys just a little First one is that nothing magical happens on the plane ride. If you don't share the gospel here, if you don't love people here, if you don't win people to Jesus here, guess what? You're not going to share the gospel over there. You're not going to love people over there. If you're coming here to win people to Jesus, you should have done it already. If you don't have a prayer life, if you don't have a devotional life, if you're not walking in holiness here, guess what? You're not going to have a prayer life over there. You're not going to automatically, magically get a devotional life. You're not going to walk in holiness or purity over there. Begin to follow Jesus here. Begin to be faithful in where God has put you. Serve here. Love your fellow classmates, learn to love people that nobody else will love, cross-cultural divides, go after international students and share the gospel with them, go to their house and let them make you a meal, and sit in there and eat everything, whether you like it or not, share the gospel with them, even if they don't understand everything that you're saying, love on them, give them rides to Walmart, do all of those things here, because if you do not do them. Jesus actually gives us a very interesting take on this in the book of Acts. He tells them also, I want you to preach the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And Jerusalem was where they were living. And so he gave them this model. He said, I want you to start here. I want you to preach the gospel here. Once you've done that. up here, or some of them? I just want to give you guys a chance to respond, and and I'm going to be very simple. It's only two things. I'm going to make it super broad, super wide. Two things. The first one is very broad and Or you realize that your life is not quite how it should be in your walk with Jesus. is not how it quite should be. And I know that you probably can't see it when you're in in it, but from my perspective, when I look back on my time in college and my time here at Sam and in Chi Alpha, I really was like on this knife's edge. And your future... So fine right now that you could take one step this way and you're and you're off into this horrible direction that you can't return from. Or you can continue to take steps in this direction and follow Jesus. And it's gonna lay this foundation that's gonna set you up to not be broken and to not have heartache. So let's do this. Let's just bow our heads, everybody. And it's just kind of these these two things here. I just want a response that do you feel like, number one, man, I've I just never really devoted my life to Jesus? Or you just, you, you know it in your heart because the Holy Spirit is speaking to you that you're just, you're walking that line. It's like you're like me. You're not really running from God, but you're not running towards Him either. And in this life, there, there actually is no neutral ground. You either are walking towards God, and if you're not walking towards God, even if you're not trying to walk away from Him, you actually are, because that's just how things work. So i that's you if you're like, man, I, I just, I've never given my life to Christ, or, man, I just, I need to become serious about my walk with Jesus. Would you just slip your hand up? Just slip your hand. Just take for a second. Everybody just quiet. Surrender my will. God, the things you're putting your finger on, I give them to you. When you speak, I'll obey. Help me, God. Amen. For those of you who prayed that prayer, and man, if you guys are. Small group leader after this and tell them, like, I want I pray that prayer and I want to follow Jesus with my whole heart. Alright, on to the second thing. And this is for missions. Now I know you don't know all the details, maybe <laughs> you don't know where you're going, you don't know when, but you know that God is calling you somehow into missions. Somehow into missions. And I just want to pray with you. I want you to put your hand up because I want your friends and your brothers and your sisters to walk alongside you. So everybody, near, uh, bow your heads again. And then, if that's you, if you're like God is speaking to me about missions, about going overseas and reaching the unreached, would you just slip your hand up so I can see you? Yeah. Amen. Amen. All right. Put your hands down. And I just, I'm gonna ask this because we're all we're all family here. Okay. I want everybody to. I'd like you to lift your hands up again because I want your brothers and your sisters, your family and your small group to see that. Would you guys do that in boldness? Just slip your hand up. You feel like God is placing, you Yeah. Do yeah. you see your brothers and your sisters? Okay. They're not they're not better than you because they're going into missions, they're not holier than you, but there's just this specific calling that God's putting on their heart. And they need you to help them. They need you to walk with them. They need you to encourage them. So what I want you to do right now, if you're close to them, or near them, or know them, would you put your hand on them or stretch your hand out towards them? Yeah. And I just want—we're we're just going to take a minute to pray. And I want you just to cry out for them, and I want you to pray over them, and I and I want you to just covenant with them that, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk with you. When you're ready to go, I'm going to help send you. I'm going to give. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to help you get there. And I want you to pray one thing very specifically. And we all need this. Pray that God would fill them right now with His Holy Spirit, because they need that more than anything else. Well, I can tell you that from my students. Yeah. Let's take a minute. Would you just cry to God, and then I'll close this out in prayer, okay? Pray over your brothers. Pray over your sisters. idea that's entered our head about moving overseas and leaving our family and going to a foreign land and preaching the gospel is not a natural one. It doesn't sound fun to us, but for some reason, you've put your finger on people's hearts here and you've said, I want you. I've chosen you to go to these places and to preach the gospel, God. And I know that even we don't know what we're saying yes to We don't know about the difficulties. We don't know about all the things, the trials and the hardships and how the enemy will try to derail us. But we're not saying yes, actually, to that. We're saying yes to you, Jesus. And so, God, I pray that just as you said that you would never leave us and you'd never forsake us and you'd be with us even to the ends of the earth, that right now that you would just make that real to each and every one that's raised their hand, that you'll be with them and that you'll never forsake them. And, God, I pray more than anything else, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. This isn't an add-on. This isn't something that would be nice to have. This is a necessity to walk in holiness and in power and to live a life that's pleasing to you, God. So would you fill not only the people who raised their hand, but every person in this room with your Holy Spirit, God? Would they have a desire for it? Would they long for it? Would they hunger for it, Jesus? And would they walk, Father, in such a way on this campus that not only are they blessed, but that they would be a light to this place, God. When they walk into their classes, Jesus, would they be a light? When they walk into the dining hall, would they be a light, Jesus? When they walk back into their dorm room, God, would they be a light? God, would you empower us to fulfill the command to go into all the earth? It's your command. It's not ours. We're just being obedient. So God, I pray that over each and every